0: Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza Shining a bright light on sex and disability
1: Content warning The opinions, language, and discussion expressed in Disability After Dark may be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Do you want to keep the conversation lit around sex and disability? Want to spark a conversation about something you heard on the show? Feel like shining some light on an issue that I haven't even thought of? You can do all that and get the inside scoop on what happens in my brain after dark by following me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza That's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A. And be sure to use the hashtag DisabilityAfterDark all over your social media so we can shine light on sex and disability together. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for clicking on episode 15 of Disability After Dark. I'm really excited that you're back here. Today is going to be an awesome show. I have somebody on that I'm really, really excited to talk to you about. One of my most favorite aspects about doing this work is when you meet somebody who you've followed doing this work around sexuality and disability, and you've read their stuff, and you've admired them from afar, and you've read their stuff and been like, holy fuck, they get me, this is great, and then... As luck would have it, you end up becoming their friend and and you start a whole different relationship with them that is based in friendship and knowledge and sharing of information and sharing of experiences and laughing about those experiences together. And that's what happened with my guest today. I am so excited to introduce Kaylee Trace, sex educator out of Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, who lives with a disability and she's somebody that I just can't, can't I can't, speak any more highly of, because if I did, there would be no words. I am excited to tell you all about her, right now. Kaylee Trace's bio, which I'll read from her website, KayleeTrace.com, says, With words, Kaylee writes and talks about shameless sex of all kinds, for all kinds. She is the author of Hot, Wet, and Shaking, How I Learned to Talk About Sex, which won the Evelyn Richardson Nonfiction Award in 2015. Her written work can also be found in Shameless Magazine, No More Potlucks, Guts Magazine, or at her old blog, thefuckingfacts.com. Kaylee teaches sex ed workshops. She's presented at the Guelph Sexuality Conference, the Biennial Western Canadian Conference on Sexual Health, and the Playground Conference. As a presenter, Kaylee is most interested in leading workshops that explore disability, desirability, resistance, and sex toys, not necessarily in that order. As a queer, disabled, white femme, Kaylee thinks about the intersections of gender, sexuality, race, ability, and class, and how these influence our realities and our personal style. She likes talking about haircuts, feelings, and everything that falls in between. This interview with Kaylee was one of my favorite to do so far on the podcast. It was so easy, and so fun, and so relaxed. We talk a little bit about everything. We talk about sex and disability, we talk about embarrassing moments around sex and disability. We talk about access, we talk about doing the work of sex and disability and what that feels like. We have a really nice chat and it's really, really empowering to know that there are people like Kaylee out there putting out work. And we also talk about something that I like in the the interview that we talk about, you'll hear us talk about at the end, is how things have changed for her and how she went from wanting to be a really loud voice to wanting to simply be a voice within her own community. And I think there's something special about the way she talks about that. So I don't want to blather on anymore, but I'd like to introduce you now to my interview with sex educator and author, Kaylee Trace, right here on Disability After Dark. Kaylee Trace, thank you so much for coming on Disability After Dark. I love talking to you always, and it's so nice to have you here.
0: Thanks for having me. I also always love talking to you, so we're well-suited for each other. <laughs> right?
1: Totally. So, I know all about your work, and I did a little pre-bio before we started talking. Now, the audience already heard it, but can you kind of tell us about the work you do?
0: Sure. I do. I guess I have two jobs. On the one hand, I work in a sex shop, um, an education-based, pretty feminist sex shop called Venus Envy in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Um, And my job there is to be the education coordinator, so I teach all kinds of workshops on all kinds of things, um, some of which are disability-focused, like sex and disability and adapting sex toys, and some of them are, I mean, anybody could give a blowjob, you know, and so I guess that's kind of a broad thing I talk about. and then the other job that I do is writing, so I write, uh, I don't write as much as I used to. I used to run a blog called The Fucking Facts, which was about sex and sexuality, and had a pretty heavy disability focus, and that blog turned into a book called Hot, Wet, and Shaking, How I Learned to Talk About Sex, which came out in 2015? 14? Uh, 14. 2014, thanks. You know, you know me better than I know me. Yeah, it came out in 2014, and... uh and I haven't written a book since that one, so one book under the table
1: so far. I I, I gotta say I love that book. I that Thank book you. is one of my favorites in disability because it's so rare to find an author who talks about disability so frankly. And when, when I think when we when many of us picked up your book, we all went, oh, "Wow, she's telling it like it is, like so direct." There's a story in there about you dropping a dildo either dropping it or you've it at the supermarket. It's not, and <laughs> that story is literally oh. my favorite story in the book.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I didn't drop it. I just pulled it out of my bag uh, un- unwilly, unwittingly, um, which I guess I would have done if I was able-bodied as well. But <laughs> being disabled still really shapes shapes the whole book and kind of all of those experiences.
1: And kind of explain, and I know your disability because we're yeah. friends off of the air, um, but explain to the audience kind of your level of disability and kind of how that informs your work and your life and your sex.
0: Totally. So I have a spinal cord injury um, from 1995. and 1995, I was nine. So I became disabled when I was nine. Um, and at that time, I was in a wheelchair for a lot of my, for some of my childhood. And now I walk with a notable limp and I use a cane. Um, so my, my spinal cord injury affects everything below my belly button. And then the upper half of my body is unaffected by my injury. Um, a lot of people, I think, differentiate between acquired disability and those disabilities we're born with. And I never really know where I fit because I've had mine for so long now that I don't really remember life without it, but I, it's true that I was not born with a disability. Um, yeah, I think that like having this particular disability, I mean, all of our disabilities are so different, but I often recognize that in so many places I can pass as non-disabled, especially if I'm sitting down, as soon as I walk, you can tell, but, um, I definitely pass as non-disabled in some spaces and it kind of, uh, have the associated privileges with that. Um, meaning that I can like, access inaccessible spaces and, and that kind of thing. So that, that shapes how I live with being disabled.
1: How does um, it feel? I'm just listening to you talk and I immediately was like, oh yeah, I wanted to bring up passing for a long time in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a podcast but I wasn't sure how to do it. And So you've just opened the door for me to ask. So some days as somebody who's a wheelchair user, a heavy wheelchair user, and every day, all the time, wheelchair user, I'd love to be able to pass and be able to, like, access those inaccessible spaces and be like, ha-ha, I'm not disabled today, funny, like, I can't, I'm, I'm totally good. Look at Yeah. Me. So, like, how does it feel to, like, to, knowing what you know about your body and how disability affects you for that brief flash of, like, oh, no one knows. No one is reading me as disabled. Is there a moment of, like, this feels really good?
0: Oh that's such a complex and interesting question. I mean privilege feels good, right like yeah like you might feel guilty for embodying a certain type of privilege, but you're still reaping so many benefits of it you know and so it's not like it ever feels bad um, when I get the benefit of passing um, and I'm I'm really aware of it and I feel you know, I feel grateful that I can pass sometimes, Um, but I also just feel so strongly, like I so strongly identify as being disabled that I don't, at this point in my life I'm really happy and comfortable with being disabled and I don't strive to pass the way that I used to. Like when I was young it was something I aimed for and now it's something that I actively work against. Like I'd rather out myself as disabled and talk about the politics of that and what that means yeah. than kind of move through the world hiding it, you know?
1: Yeah. And it takes a lot for us and I, I'm, I'm the same way, like I'm very, very proud of my disability and it's it's created a job for me, it's created work, it's created friendships, it's, it's how we met. So. Really, yeah. I mean, it's created so many great things for me. Um, but I do, there are some moments when I was younger, like I just, I just recorded a podcast today where I talk about my teenage years and there's a point in the podcast where I talk about how, you know, sometimes I wish that I wasn't disabled when I was like 14, 15, 16, That's trying nice. to figure out how to navigate all that stuff. Um, what was your experience like? Because you said you had your injury at nine. So you mm-hmm. got to go through your awkward, tumultuous teenage years dealing with disability, um, and I've seen your gait, and for, you know, for, for somebody who's well-versed in disability, it doesn't faze me, but I can imagine being 13, 14, 15, 16, trying to do all these things that, you know, trying to be cool and trying to look attractive, and so how did that affect you as a younger person?
0: Oh, man, I mean, I think, And I think this is true for a lot of teens and young folks, like you maintain a certain type of delusion about yourself, like I was just convinced (laughs) that I was passing, even though I definitely, I don't pass. As soon as you see me walk, you know I'm disabled, I look different, like there's no hiding that. But I didn't use canes, Um, I hid, I didn't tell people I was disabled, like I just pretended that nobody would notice because um, being a teen is awkward for all of us and I think it just is doubly awkward if you're denying a really crucial part of your identity <laughs>
1: yeah and it's pain, like so painfully awkward and like you and I both we, there's no way we could hide it but we but I remember trying damn hard to, dry, to hide it totally so hard to be like yeah I'm in a chair but you can't see it right it's,
0: you're good yeah I'm normal I'm normal I'm normal
1: and really, you know that narrative of normalcy it's funny how even though we're grown now, it's still something that even though I'm totally comfortable with disability and talking about it and it's my life, there are moments where that desire to be normal, especially in the bedroom, kind of like, whoa, yep, there it is. I wish that I could be like this.
0: Totally. I find it's easier to um, feel comfortable with our bodies in a general way, but then when it comes to the most intimate places, like when we're naked with other people, all of those insecurities are just still can so be at the surface. It takes so much work to be like, no, I'm really, I'm really comfortable. You know, I don't know if anybody ever achieves that kind of comfort with their body regardless of ability.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think with disability, the comfort in the body is amplified. It's always, always there, whether you're disabled or not. But um, when you have a disability, it's amplified because there's, as you say in your book, there's no handbook for us. There, like, when you were doing research, that, that scene of you in the book, for anybody who hasn't read it, go on Amazon.com right now and get it because it's <laughs> so good. Slash, I will send you all the links because it's, <laughs> it's, everybody needs to buy it. But there's a point in the book where you talk about how you went to the library and you leafed through, like, these, a ton of these books looking for answers. And you went to your sex shop and you pulled books off the shelf and read them for hours trying to figure out how do I – make myself come? How do I, how? And I, I, it's, it's painful to think that we only have one or two books on the subject. Um, the Ultimate Guide to Sex and Disability is one of the best out there. But even that now is coming slightly outdated, like, like, there needs to be more resources. And, and what I love about your book is that it's not only a, it's not a how-to, it's an emotional roadmap of, like, hey, if, if you're in this body and you're, trying to figure this out. Here's what I went through. Let me share that with you. And so why I love it so much and why I will sing its praises forever and ever is because it just tells the tells it honestly. And we don't often see that in literature.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, I think the reality is that there's, there's very rarely clear answers. And I think that clear answers or advice become even more muddied when we're trying to talk about disability because disability is such a broad spectrum and how we experience our bodies are so diverse um, and I still find that hard like as a sex educator who does work around sex and disability I, I really love talking about sex and disability it's my passion and something that I enjoy um, and I can certainly speak to like being somebody with a vulva and somebody with a spinal cord injury but that's so specific you know um, and I, I just wish that there was more, I mean, I, I like that you're talking about this too. Like the more people who talk about our experiences and our bodies, the more potential resources we can have. So we're not just like looking through the library for books that don't actually apply to our bodies at all. Yeah.
1: And you're trying to piece together things that aren't really you. And like the, my, the trouble with the literature that's even out there, and again, I love The ultimate Guide to Sex and Disability. I think it was an amazing first step is that people now love that as the only book Totally, best one. And I keep saying, listen, there are a ton of other authors out there who are writing stuff who you could put in a book that would tell you their lived experience over and above the how-to section. Mm-hmm. I think where you learn the most from these authors and from stuff you've written and people like Carrie Wade and those, all those mm-hmm. authors is the, is the emotional response to trying to figure out your body and realizing that some days it sucks.
0: Totally. I feel like the best guidebook to having sex as a disabled person that I've read was Exile and Pride by Eli Clare, which doesn't talk about having sex at all, but is about like loving your not loving yourself in a like necessarily self-help way, but it's about the like radical possibilities of what it means to be disabled. And reading that made me made me love myself more and subsequently be more comfortable engaging in sex because I I didn't have so much that I was hiding, you know,
1: yeah, I haven't read the book, but everybody and their best friends been like Andrew pick it up, so that's it's on my list.
0: It's a good recommendation, yeah, it's definitely my favorite well I mean maybe not my favorite because there's a lot of great disability books out there, but it's one that I really love.
1: yeah, I know I hear it I hear it's really good mm-hmm. my 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 favorite well right now it's yours
0: <laughs> I gotta, for I the ga- sake of this podcast <laughs> it has to be mine
1: <laughs> I, no, I gotta say though I, I read it because I knew we were doing this interview soon and I read it recently and I just was like, it's, it's so strong. So you said earlier that you haven't written in a while and I, I know you've been busy with life and things and, but I am asking you as a disabled person who loves your stuff, please write again. Oh,
0: please. thank you. Thanks. That means a lot. I do want to write again. I think th- what has happened is that it's really nerve-wracking and scary to write about yourself and yeah. that book... Is, is about myself as a disabled person, which felt like an important thing to do and I know that you have this experience too, like using my life um, as a story of disability and speaking loudly as, as a disabled woman and as a queer woman feels important to me. Uh, but writing about your life is so scary and hard and now that I've done it once I need I needed a long break. <laughs>
1: yeah. no I don't blame you. And I kind of want to lead into quickly about the work because we both work as educators in sex and disability. and. and you know, doing that, and you say you, you, you run workshops, so going up there on stage, and I do it too, and talking about yourself, isn't it, aren't you terrified every single time you do it, like, it gets easier, but I'll tell you from my experience, I'm still like, oh my god, what am I going to reveal today, what story am I going to tell, what's going to come out by accident, oh no, yeah, it's
0: yeah, definitely. I public speak so often, like, I think I'm doing two this week. I, do, I because of my work as so much a sex educator, I'm always going to groups and talking about things that are nerve wracking. And most often I'm not talking about myself. Like most often I'm being like, this is what consent looks like, you know? Um, And that's way less scary. Definitely when I'm using my own body and lived experience as a teaching tool, it's way harder. And also not only scary, but like, whoa, emotionally tiring. You come off stage feeling like full of adrenaline, but also totally exhausted because you've just bared yourself to strangers and all you can do is hope that they've seen you for all that you are. And
1: hope that, you know, I did a talk recently at a, University of Toronto, Mississauga, and they were great, and they were so gracious, but I remember asking them a bunch of questions in the, the talk, like in the middle, I would pause and say, okay, this slide's talking about sex and disability, what do you guys think? And they would sit there and stare at me in total silence. Oh, and, that's the worst. And not answer me, not because they didn't have questions, but because they didn't want to offend me. So at the end of the, at the, end of the lecture, I said, okay, listen, I'm going to pass around paper and write down your questions. I swear, I got reams of paper back with questions. And I was like, mm. why is it so different if I'm asking you? Because, and I, it made me think about, like, is there a fear of telling disabled people to their face how you really feel?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that there is. I think that's a tough one. I, and I think that's also maybe why I haven't written for a while. I used to feel much more comfortable being like, it's okay. Like, don't be afraid of me. Ask me your question and I can inform you about my life. And more and more, I, I, I totally understand that people are ignorant for various reasons and we don't have a lot of exposure to disability and it's not necessarily somebody's fault if they don't know something. And, you know, I'm not going to blame somebody if they don't have the answer, but sometimes I don't want to give the answer. Like sometimes I am too tired and I just feel like Google it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's hard. I think that there is a fear of offending. Um, and I don't want to like entice that fear. Like I'm not saying be afraid. Um, but I think, you know, I think it is wise for us to think first before we just boldly ask people about how they are and who they are. Like, I don't know, do you ever, I get the experience a lot when I'm, and maybe it's different because you're in a chair and, and as somebody who uses a cane, people, Maybe don't see me as disabled as easily, but so often people say like, "What's wrong with you, Missy?" You know, or like, "What did you do to yourself?" Uh, do it's a end, question I get asked all the time. Do
1: they end the sentence with Missy because that's hilarious?
0: <laughs> Sometimes, you know, like it's a, like I feel like people are like, "Oh, look at this sweet girl. What's wrong with her?" And they think it's okay to ask, you know, um, and it it makes me a little bit tired. Uh, yeah, and I don't always want to answer, especially when I'm not working. You know, I'm I'm just walking on my lunch break. It's not my job to answer your questions about my body. Yeah,
1: you're just doing your thing. I mean, I try to look at it as an opportunity, but I agree there are some moments where you're like, I just don't. Just please don't. The other day I was on the street. It's so funny. The other day I was on the street going to get headphones for my for my job because I was supposed to interview somebody and then they broke and I ran them over. The choice of being disabled and trying to run over. Yeah, I ran over like my prized headphones that I used for something they were totally busted so I was like okay I have to go to the store and get some and I'm crossing the street to go to the to the electronic shop and this person goes okay are you crossing and I said yeah and he goes okay the cars are going to come now be careful and I was like I'm good like I'm okay and just the way he was talking to me I was just so annoyed that I just sped ahead I was like I don't want to speak to you we're good
0: yeah, and it's hard because sometimes it comes from a genuine place of wanting to be helpful, you know? Like people are like, oh, this is harder for you than it is for me. I'll help you out. And I, and I totally understand that people just want to be kind. But sometimes that kindness comes from a place of being patronizing, you know? Yeah.
1: And they don't even re- – it's just – it's so – and I mean I think to lead into my next question, that kind of stuff happens just in the bedroom all the time. It's that mm-hmm. kind of like weird patronizing thing where people don't realize what they're doing. It's so much more painful when you're naked. That kind of stuff, mm-hmm. when you're naked with somebody and you're in the middle of something or you're about to be in the middle of something and they do that stuff to you, maybe it doesn't happen to you so much because you may not look as disabled as I do when I don't have clothes on. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I know for myself, when I'm lying about with somebody and they start patronizing me, I'm like, well, now I can't sleep with you now. Like,
0: totally. My drive to have sex with you is just completely diminished (laughs) yeah my
1: desire is completely finished and we're finished now um one of the stories that I love in your book that and I think you know the one I'm gonna go for is the one where you just you were I think 19 and you just you met that that gentleman and And I peed
0: on him yeah
1: that's the one (laughs) do you think you could um elaborate on that story for us because it's my favorite story the whole book.
0: Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, that's a story very much so where I'm just trying to pass as non-disabled. So rather than be honest about being like, I need to go to the bathroom, I just tried to not have to go to the bathroom. Um, part of being disabled for me is going to the bathroom a lot. I have a pretty small bladder and I can't totally control it and I... And I go to the bathroom very frequently, um, but when you're 19 and dating somebody, going on a date with somebody you don't know and who's older and cooler than you, that's the most embarrassing thing ever.
1: Um, older and, so, and cooler is so hard when you don't feel like you're cool.
0: I know. I mean, when you're 19, you're pretty sure you're not cool anyway. Uh, now I see that I was definitely cooler than that other person. <laughs> <laughs> Um, although I think he was probably a nice guy. I mean, I hardly know him, but the, the point is that I eventually just like lost control of my bladder while we were mid sexy time, um, and like fled the house and denied my life for a long time or denied ever speaking to that person again. And, uh, it was embarrassing. Yeah, it was totally embarrassing and definitely, um, Definitely taught me a lesson about being like Jesus, Kaylee. Just admit that like your body is not the same as everybody else's, and it will make your life better in the long run.
1: And it's okay. And uh, that's hard. And just to just so that you're not the only one telling an embarrassing bathroom sex story. Yeah, to tell one. I'm gonna tell one. So when I was 19, I moved from Toronto, from North York, Ontario, Canada, to Ottawa, Canada, my university town, and mm-hmm. I was looking for. To lay one night, as you do, <laughs> and so I met this couple online who was like, "You're really cute. We want to take you back to your house." We wanted, a couple, yeah, they were like this cute older couple, and they were—they must—I swear—they were, they swear, were probably—and to say older now sounds weird because I'm literally their age now, but they were—they <laughs> were like thirty-five to forty, and I was nineteen. You know, so I we talked for a bit, and I explained to them my reality and what I needed, and all these things, and. So, I, they, they picked me up in, a, in an unmarked white van. Now, this, is not, this was not the smartest thing I'd ever done. <laughs> they picked me up in an unmarked white van and drove me. They lived in a suburb of, of Ottawa, so it was, like, out of town. Okay. Um, and <laughs> they brought me back to their place. We had the sexy time. And I guess during the sexy time, my, me not realizing, my bowels decided to release.
0: Oh, no. And,
1: I couldn't, I didn't feel it during the sex because I guess, I guess with all the contractures and the excitement, my body just went, all right, well, this is happening. So. Totally. It just, I, they released. And so we were done. I hadn't seen anything yet. I didn't realize that there was a problem. And so they lift, they had to lift me off the bed to get me back on my chair. There was a giant shit stain there and I didn't know what to do. And oh
0: I, no, my friend, oh, yeah. I have so much empathy for you. Like, this exact thing hasn't happened to me, but I totally understand.
1: So, when I'm reading your story about you know peeing on the guy, I'm laughing with you in solidarity because I'm like, oh. I've been there, I know the pain you feel so much.
0: Did the three of you ever address
1: it? I no I looked on the and it was so it gets worse, not too much worse, but a little bit worse. So their bed sheets—they were telling me were like 800 thread count. No. Like, yeah, really, really, like fancy bed sheets. And I saw the shit stain, and I didn't say anything when I, when they put me in my chair because I was like, I gotta get out of there really fast. They didn't ever speak to me again. Actually, no, that's not true. There's more. There is more to the story. Now that I think about it, they—I messaged them to apologize, and they were like, "Yeah, you had, <laughs> you had." some issues and an odor there and I was like I'm so sorry like I just felt so ashamed because I was like I don't know like what I'm supposed to do and so that memory of that is kind of like embedded in my brain because every, every time I consider anal sex or every time I consider wanting to explore that and I haven't done and the first reason why not is because like oh my god what if what if what if there's shit there so like I feel the pain when you're young and just trying to be sexy and these body things happen to you. Um, Yeah. And it just is so, so embarrassing. And there's no, there's no, you can't ever come back from that. Like you can try really hard.
0: Well, I think that the thing is, and like this, I'm so glad you told me this story because it reminded me why I chose to tell that story in my book. The way that you can come back from moments like that where you're like, I literally... Want to stop existing? This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Is then owning that story and making it yours and being like, Yeah, this thing happened because my body did this thing. And like, I'm still a totally valuable and incredible and sexy human being.
1: Yeah. 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 And,
0: but, and, and that's how I feel about you. So thanks for telling that story <laughs> um, and reminding me that regardless, you're a mega babe.
1: That's how I feel about you, mega babe. <laughs> <laughs> Kylie <Killian laughs> and I met on a panel. four or five years ago now it's been a while it's been a while probably five yeah it's been we met in a panel back in ottawa actually we did a a panel on i think sex and disability or
0: i think it was sex and disability uh, panel yeah
1: and ever since i've just we've been like we've been you know author buddies like yeah i did this thing and we're gonna be and so i am excited about what's happening by the time this podcast airs the thing will be done i think but, oh. uh, but we're going to be at a panel soon together. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about it because it'll be, it'll be done. But um, do, you, so do, you, do you think that eventually more writing, like the fucking facts like the blog of Kaylee Tracy's might pop up? Because I feel like, and why I bring it up again, is because you need to be in the pop culture pantheon, friend. You need to be there
0: oh thank you so much I'd love to be in the pop culture pantheon and that's certainly what I was going for when I was like yeah I'll write a book and expose my sex life no problem no worries <laughs> um, I mean I don't know I don't know what I'm going to do with my future and my life but I, I know that what I believe is that like more disabled voices in the pop culture pantheon is, is what's going to make our lives better Um, I mean, among many things, like accessibility measures would make my life a lot better too. Um, But I think that like these things go hand in hand sometimes. And so the louder our voices, the more powerful change can be affected. And I am so excited about the disability activists who are doing work out there right now, like yourself and Carrie Wade. If folks haven't read Carrie Wade, uh, her work is on auto straddle and it's so good um, and Eli Clare, who wrote Exile and Pride, and Eddie Nadupo, who, um, who we were on the panel with,
1: yeah. actually. He's who, doing – I'm not sure what their pronoun is. So I think
0: that. they is maybe yeah. their
1: pronoun. They are doing amazing work to get um, to get people with disabilities more recognition in Africa. And, and I think also he's doing stuff in the States, amazing stuff in the U.S. I
0: think that currently Eddie is an Oxford scholar, like – Super successful disabled person. Like
1: just, yeah, that's right. Oxford. Amazing. Oxford.
0: Just, I mean, like the UK. Way to, like, way to be a big time. So awesome. So
1: awesome. Um, and also
0: just another mention of disab- disability activists that folks should check out. Lyric Seal, who makes porn on crash pads. Super good. And larry Erickson, who's in Toronto and does work around sex and disability stuff too. Super, so if folks are like, good. I want more disabled voices, those are just a few people to Google um and all of them
1: produce incredible work i'm pretty sure i'm talking to Carrie wade soon she will die to know that there's an unusual crush up like
0: oh yeah we're i feel like we just need to make it our connection happen across geographical places and we'll certainly be friends
1: <laughs> certainly certainly um, we'll be
0: friends i mean i hope i'm not putting too much pressure on on Carrie, but we'll see
1: <laughs> how could you not be friends with you <laughs> um, this has been a great interview I don't really have much more to say I urge everybody to go on Amazon.com and, and purchase Kelly's book I'm not sure where else it's available uh, you can
0: get it on Amazon if you also Google Invisible Publishing which is the small publishing press that put out my book uh, you can buy an ebook online if that's more accessible for you um, and they can they also have a directory showing you what small local independent bookstores carry my book so if you'd rather support local um, a full listing of where to get the book locally is on InvisiblePublishing.com.
1: is Kaylee Chase going to do an audio book
0: Oh, man, I would love to do an audiobook. I have said this before, and I think it's the truth. I'm much more of a talker than a writer. Like, I could do a lecture every day and be a happy person, and I find writing a little bit torturous. So if I could just do a book where I just talk forever, I'd be a pretty happy person.
1: So if the people at audible.com are listening, Kelly Trace wants to talk book deep.
0: <laughs> yeah, get in touch, audible.com.
1: Please. Um, yeah. Kelly, it's such a pleasure talking to you and I, the last question that I've been asking with this new podcast that I just started recently um, asking people is, how do you want to shine a bright light on sex and disability?
0: Ooh, that's a hard and good question. I think I began my work wanting to shine a light on sex and disability by being really loud and taking up a lot of space. Um, and doing things like writing a book and writing a blog and being really raunchy and hilarious. Um, and I still think that work is important. Uh, but these days I want to work more on an individual level and like meet folks and ask them what they need. And like, um, yeah, I think I, right now I'm in like a quieter mode. And so I, I want to make a change on an individual basis by working in, in my community uh, with folks that I know and and collectively working together.
1: Yeah, and I think the quiet voices, and I agree with you, I think I, I, like I, I'm a fame whore, I'll, I'll admit. Anybody listening to this knows I'm a fame whore. Um, but I also like when I get feedback from people who are just like, hey, I listened to your thing and it really changed my viewpoint, or hey, I went to your presentation and it made me think and I want to talk to you about it. Can we have a coffee about this? Or hey, thanks for writing that blog because now I am thinking about something differently. And it doesn't make me feel like, Wow, I changed the world. It's like I changed that one person's day and I did my job.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. You did your job.
1: And I mean that's that's a sexy thing too, to know that we have we as disabled people, as authors, as disabled authors, have created have had to create work for ourselves and to see the impact of that. When I look at the stuff I've done and I see people saying to me like what I've been changed by what you wrote, like even with what you wrote, I love your book, and I read it all the time. Every single time I read it, I go, "Oh, I never thought about that. Oh, I, I, I can use that for my thing, or oh I can I can talk about this," And she really talked about that. So I think that we the fact that it's out there and we can change someone's day doesn't mean we have to change the world. I think with disability activism, that's what I think we have to remember is that it doesn't mean tomorrow we're not going to have disab- we're not going to have accessibility. Measures fixed tomorrow but by doing lectures and going out and talking about it to one group of people we might slowly change things
0: totally i agree that's what i hope
1: such a an awesome pleasure to talk to you you're you're one of my favorite people to interview very briefly how do people get a hold of you
0: oh yeah um you can find me on twitter at kaylee trace um that's k-a-l-e-i-g-h trace Um, my website is also kaylee um, and you can email me at kaylee.trace at gmail.com. Uh, Kaylee Trace, Google. I'm very Googleable. Google is a great word to say over and over, by the way. I think i said it 700 times in this interview, and I still like saying it.
1: You did. It's kind of awesome. Kaylee, such a pleasure to talk to you. You're one of my favorites. And we will talk again. And I can't wait to see what's next for you.
0: Thanks, Andrew. I can't wait to see you in Toronto. And uh, always a pleasure to be on your
1: show. Always. And we'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I loved having an interview with Kaylee Trace over Skype from her home in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. The great thing about doing this work when you do it with your friends is that you can bring a lightness to serious issues about accessibility, disability, and sexuality. And with Kaylee Trace, that's how I always feel. She always talks about serious stuff and is very, very passionate about the work she does. But she brings such a likability and a, a, a warmth to the topic. That you get immersed within it with her, and it's just such a great feeling to have conversations with somebody who understands the realities and can make it that accessible to an audience or to somebody like that. And I hope when you were listening to her speak, you felt that way, because I did the whole way through. It felt like we were just having a chat about really important stuff in a fun way, and she's, she's a master at doing that, and I admire that about her. Kaylee, throughout the episode, you may have heard her mention some people with disabilities who were doing sexuality and disability work. I want to say again, Kaylee Trace is one of the top-notch sex educators around disability. You should all read her stuff. Follow her on the Twitter. She's somebody who will definitely change the way you look at queerness, sexuality, disability, feminist, all the things she studies. Everything that she does, she brings her voice to it in such a sweet, honest, real way. And I I appreciate that so, so much. And I appreciate that you guys took the time out of your day to listen to our interview. Just before we close today, I want to do a shameless plug. I want to let you know about my Patreon page for the podcast. I produce Disability After Dark, the podcast that shines a bright light on sex and disability, completely independently. I do so here in my home studio in Toronto with one earbud mic and my laptop and some Audacity software that I use. That's about it, that's literally the extent of my production value. Um, I edit everything myself, which is not very a lot of editing, but I do edit it a little bit. I work really hard on it, producing episodes, getting guests, finding guests, coming up with new topics. I spend hours doing episodes and putting them together so they sound really nice and I really am learning hard on how to make it sound even better. And I want to work on getting some new equipment, and I want to work on making the podcast monetized so that I can continue the conversation around sex and disability. This is not for me to get rich. This is not for me asking for money to become a star. This is finding ways to continue this conversation. So if you like the work that I do, and if you like what you hear on this podcast, please head over to my website, andrewgerza.com, head over to the Disability After Dark page, and underneath every podcast... You can see the join me on Patreon button. Please click that button if you're able to donate. Whatever money you can spend a month to help make this podcast grow would be greatly appreciated. From five bucks, ten bucks, two bucks, whatever you can do would really help me out and make the conversation around sex and disability shine even brighter. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. Copyright notice. The Disability After Dark podcast, including title, graphic, content, interview recordings, and title music, produced and recorded by Chris Ujiuchi, are property of Andrew Gerza. This podcast cannot be reproduced without permission from the owner.
0: Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability.